0: Uh, It is good to see everyone here this morning at Berean Bible Fellowship and good to have the opportunity to be in God's house. A little warmer in here than in the foyer out there, so this is the right room to be in. (laughs) Seems to me we had a little relapse in the weather, but we had a nice Easter, and we thank the Lord for that. If you have Matthew chapter 19, let's stay with that text and turn there. I'd like to read uh, two verses, maybe, going to call your attention to the ones that we... uh, have a particular interest in today, even though we're going to be looking at this broader passage. So Matthew chapter 19 and verse number 3 is, first of all, the one where it says this, the Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying unto him, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? So there's a question. And then we come down to verse number seven, where they have a follow-up. So this is almost like a press conference, right? The, 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 the reporter asks a question and then wants to know if he can have a follow-up. So here here's the follow-up. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? So those are the things that are the questions in the passage this morning. Let's bow our heads. We'll have a word of prayer and we'll charge into this. Heavenly Father, thank you for your loving kindness and for your blessings. And thank you once again for the Lord's day, regardless of the weather. We're so grateful for the privilege that we have of being in a Bible-believing fellowship and being in a place where we can rejoice in our brothers and sisters in Christ and be strengthened uh, by the admonition of your word, by the encouragement of each other, and uh, all the things that you provide for us. Thank you for the singing that we can enjoy and the prayer time, and even to come in today at Sunday school time and to see some answers to prayer in folks that we've been praying for and that you've raised up and given them the ability to return uh, to church here. Uh, Father, continue to bless. There are many requests, but right now, Father, our our concentration is that you will allow, allow us to be able to open our hearts. I pray for myself, Lord, that you just give me the ability to be clear and practical and helpful today in the message, and that the Holy Spirit will be the one to guide and direct, O Lord. And uh, then I pray for each listener, Father, Uh, you you, you alone know who we are and where we are, and we're grateful for that. You're able to take things that haven't even entered into the mind of the preacher and use your word by the working of the Holy Spirit to touch our hearts and encourage us where we need that. And I pray, Father, that uh, you'll do that for each person who knows Christ as Savior here today. We pray for no one go away without a sense of your presence and your ministry. If we have anybody here that doesn't know Christ as Savior, I pray, Lord, always the There'll, uh, there'll be a sense of the burden and desire for people to trust Christ and to know him and to know the cleansing uh, of his shed blood and the right, a right relationship uh, with God through him. And uh, we thank you for that, for all the great blessings that we enjoy, and uh, bless us now in this time of looking into your word, for we pray these things in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Well, we take some time away from our regular morning series for Palm Sunday. That's appropriate. For Easter, that's certainly appropriate. But we want to get back this morning and remember that what we're doing is looking at some of those questions that we find in the Gospels that people asked of Jesus. They asked him this is the title of the series. And, of course, it differs from some of the other things that we looked at, those penetrating questions of Jesus, where Jesus is the one to initiate a question, often very powerful, very penetrating, as the title of the series sort of calls out. But many times people ask questions of Jesus. Now, very quickly, here's what we've done so far. We saw it started off this with two that John the Baptist asked, and uh, there were many people in all walks of life who asked questions of Jesus and mostly what we've seen since then then are questions, though asked by the disciples. And uh, sometimes that's, I think, the most many, many times the most encouraging for us, because they're so much like us. I mean, every time you get disgusted with Peter or something like that, and you, you know, accuse him of putting his foot in his mouth, you just realize that uh, he's doing probably a lot better than we are. And uh, it's so practical to be able to look at those questions that uh, those disciples asked. But there's a third category that uh, most of the questions fall into then um, three categories, and there's a third category. I think this is the first time we've had a chance to look at one of these, and these would be questions asked by people who were sort of Jesus' opponents. And in this particular case, when you look at verse three, you see that right away, the Pharisees also came unto him. And of course, the operative phrase that we're given here that shows us that this is kind of the opposing uh, these are people whose who's motivation in the question is not necessarily to learn something, not necessarily to profit, uh, but it's, it's for different reasons, because the next two words say tempting him. So this is the first of those. And if you look at the question that they ask, it's quite specific. Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? I'm going to broaden this out a little bit just for our consideration this morning, and we'll just say that their question is, what about divorce? Now, when you hear that question asked, you might think, as I wondered to myself, as I thought about this particular question, what are you, nuts? You want to get in trouble with half the people there? It's sometimes tempting to think that way a little bit because, and and I I just want you folks to know that that certainly has nothing to do with the intent behind the message today because it's quite interesting um, that when the Lord answers this, what he ends up doing is laying out for us really a a whole theology of Christian marriage, and that's really what I'm interested in and what I'm concerned about today. Um, There's kind of an analogy. Remember when we talked about, albeit it was in February when I got to this, But remember when we talked about Sanctity of Human Life Sunday and talked about the fact that it is so important, especially in the light of uh, abortion in our land and even the the, the deteriorating conditions that continue to progress uh, along that line, it's so important to reaffirm every year and how Sanctity of Human Life Sunday came into being, of course, is because it's, it's a reaction then to the Supreme Court decision in 1973, Roe versus Wade. I begin to wonder, and this is sort of to make my point about where I'm headed with the message today, I begin to wonder if we almost don't need to also have a sanctity of Christian marriage Sunday because conditions in our country concerning marriage are deteriorating more and more and more and more. And it would be appropriate to do that, I think. It's, it's, I don't know if anyone's thought of that, but you have a Supreme Court decision that you would be responding to there as well. And most people don't know it, Uh, by its technical name, as well as they do Roe versus Wade, but it's Obergefell, which was the decision of the Supreme Court back in several years back, which uh, legalized gay marriage in uh, the United States. And so you, you almost have an analog to this. And it's just important for us periodically, even if we've grown up in church, to come back and reaffirm the great truths that the Bible has to say so that we know them, so that we can live the example of them, and so that we can fulfill the mission that Jesus gives us in this world, when you look at the Sermon on the Mount, basically you can distill the mission that the citizens of the kingdom have to two things, salt and light. He talks about you're the salt of the earth, you're the light of the world, and you can pretty much take it all from there. Well, if we're going to fulfill that mission of being salt and life, then it's really important for us in this area of our life, to be a good example to other people. And when they have questions, it's important for us to be able to know what the Bible has to say and articulate to that, that to them in a positive, compassionate way. And that really is where I'm at in this message today, and it's, it really ends up being what the Lord himself does in response to the question. I don't think anybody here today has any question about the fact that marriage, Christian marriage, is under attack today. And this emphasis on the sanctity of of Christian marriage is important for us. So to get at this and to see how this really um, is what the Lord does in response to the question, we want to look at the broader passage. Those are the questions. But uh, what we need to do is to take a little, 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 I think this will help us to do this. If we look at marriage then and marriage now, because we look at marriage, then it'll, it'll enable us to see the context of the question. What specifically was being asked? Because as it's recorded here in Matthew's gospel, it's very specific. And when you see the background and, the, and, the, and what's really going on, it's easier to see how the Lord responds. But we're going to transition then to see what the Lord's teaching is. And we'll talk about marriage now because this is really what we're interested in, is seeing how this stacks up against where we are today and the conditions that we see um, unfolding in America. So first of all, let's look at marriage then. Now, it is interesting to know, again, by way of further introduction, that this particular question is also recorded in Mark's Gospel. You have some analogous teaching in Luke, but only Matthew and Mark give us a scenario like what we're looking at. We, We are choosing to use Matthew's account of this this morning. However, if you were to compare the question in Matthew 19.3 to the question in Mark 10.2, you would find a little distinction or a little difference that's given there, and that's kind of an interesting, if not a very important one. When you realize who Mark's audience is, Mark wrote his gospel primarily to a Roman audience and so the way he chooses and the way the Holy Spirit leads him to couch the question, is more general in nature, so that it fits better the needs that he saw as he was writing his particular gospel. And if you consult Matthew or Mark chapter 10 and verse 2, here's what it says. Now you might want to be looking down at Matthew 19:3 as I read this to you. But in Mark 10:2, here's how the question is phrased: Is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? So do you see there that basically it just kind of becomes a general question about divorce? However, Matthew's audience is different. I think most people here know that Matthew was writing to Jews. He was writing to a Jewish audience. And Jews, of course, would be very concerned about interpretation, particularly if there were questions of interpretation, And as you know, the Jews kind of could become famous a little bit for some of the hair-splitting and the haggling over interpretations. And that's exactly why, when you look down at Matthew 19.3, the way Matthew chooses to uh, uh, give the full-throated version of the question, there are a couple of words that are added here. The Pharisees also came unto him, tempting him and saying, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife? And what's the last part say? For every cause. For every cause. Now, that focuses on, uh, really on a really on a situation that existed as a matter of a difference of interpretation. And what it has reference to is a provision in the Old Testament, which is what they refer to after the Lord makes his first response. Verse seven, notice the follow-up question. They say unto him, why did Moses then command to give a writing of divorcement and to put her away? So I think what we need to do is let's first go back. We need to go back to see this in the Old Testament so we can understand. We want to go to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 24. That's where you're going to find what they're talking about. And that's where you're going to find, um, or I'm going to be able to share, if you've not heard this before, what the dispute among the Jews was And uh, what what exactly they're asking when they say, is it lawful for a man to put away his wife for every cause? All right, so Deuteronomy chapter 24, verse number one, is really the one that we want. So Moses has this provision. It says, when a man hath taken a wife and married her, and it come to pass that she find no favor in his eyes, because he hath found some uncleanness in her, then let him write her a bill of divorcement and give it in her hand and send her out of his house. So the question of interpretation, if, if you're a, an Old Testament interpretation major or if you're a Jewish uh, student of the scriptures, the, the the thing that you're trying to resolve, the thing that you're trying to understand is, What exactly is it getting at? What was Moses talking about when he said he finds some matter of uncleanness? Do you see that phrase in the verse? He hath found some uncleanness in her. Well, when you and I, particularly today, um, may be unfamiliar with Jewish context or Jewish customs, when we read that, we think to ourselves, well, what's that talking about? And one of the things that may give a little more accurate insight into it is to Know what that phrase is literally. What we have translated here, some uncleanness, is literally some matter of nakedness, which tends to make you think maybe of moral issues and sexual infidelity issues, maybe a little bit more than it does something else. But here's the point there were two, it's almost like we have two sides of the church. Okay, so we won't divide you here this morning, but. If over here, let's just use this by way of illustrating, if over here we have the followers of a Jewish rabbi whose name was Shammai, so if you take notes, that's S-H-A-M-M-I-A-I, Shammai. Shammai taught that what this some uncleanness or matter of nakedness referred to was sexual infidelity. So you can imagine that that interpretation would be construed by audiences as being conservative. And particularly if the age in which you live is permissive, it was also unpopular. I'll be sure you hear me carefully now so you don't get a misimpression or a misunderstanding. That, that would be considered kind of an, a conservative interpretation especially when you compare it, okay, over here we're going to have the school of Hillel, H-I-L-L-E-L. You probably won't like this one, so you probably don't now want to be on this side. But Hillel taught that really some matter of uncleanness could be pretty much anything. That was obviously a very liberal interpretation and a very permissive interpretation. If you want to know pretty much anything, even right down to... A wife burns her husband's food. Think how easy that is to do. Marriage wouldn't last very long, would it? My soul, I go in the kitchen and put a piece of toast in there, and if I'm not careful, my daughter who likes it, she, I don't even know why she uses a toaster. But she's got the setting down on the thing so low that I think all it does is just get the bread warm. And the thing pops up, and I look at that, and, I, oh, Ruth has been here and I turn it up. Well, if you don't get the thing right, put it back down again, or it decides it's gonna start all over from where it left off and give you the full two minutes, or not two minutes, but whatever setting number two is or something. First thing you know, this thing pops up and you're looking and think, well, I got here a burnt offering. Well, if your wife happens to do that some morning, I suppose Hillel would have said that would have been grounds. So you can see how that might, in a permissive age, be be the product of a very permissive age. And that's why this is what's going on here, and this is why uh, it says to us they came to him tempting because you see what they were trying to do, all right? We've got a side over here. We've got a side over here. If we can somehow get Jesus to take a position, well, all right, so now you're the Shamaites over here and you're the Hillelites over here, and if the Lord says, well, I agree with Shammai, well, it just alienated this whole half of the room, right? So this was an effort to try to ensnare Jesus in a controversy that, was, that went on in that day. And that's why they phrased the question in this way, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for every cause? It's a blatant attempt to trap the Lord into uh, a controversy and for him to make enemies and to uh, dilute the effectiveness of his ministry. Well... Sometimes when you think about interpretations, it's not an illegitimate thing to arrive at what you honestly believe the scripture teaches. In fact, that's really what you should do. You should search the scriptures and determine what you believe God teaches in a particular matter. But there are those areas of interpretation. I'm not saying it's in this case. I'm just generally speaking now. There can be those matters of interpretation over which godly people in the in all of the years of church history, have seen differently. Their, their, their credentials as Bible-believing people are not open to question. Their credentials of loving the Lord are not over, under, open to question. They just don't always see. And matters of prophecy can be that way, and there can be other areas. And if you think about this, it doesn't take much to get on to what I'm saying because, really, this is why we have the denominations I'm not commenting on whether that's good or bad. I'm simply saying that you have the Baptists and then you have other denominations. And uh, what's one of the biggest well-known differences between them? Well, the Baptists say you should baptize only uh, those who are old enough to have come to faith in Christ as, in, as personal Savior and understand what they're doing. And others, Presbyterians, Methodists, and so forth, they what? sprinkle you as an infant and call that baptism. And uh, in this church, you wouldn't call that baptism, and no Baptist would call that baptism. We might say that was christening, or we might say that was dedicating a baby, but we don't equate that to our our belief in what the Scripture teaches. All right, well, does that mean that that I should separate insofar as recognizing a true born-again Methodist believer? and not have fellowship with him at all, might mean that I wouldn't be able to be in the same church with him. But would I shun him? Would I treat him as someone who's not my brother? Well, land sakes, you just got rid of Bob Jones Sr. I don't know what he believed about baptism. I just know he was an old-time Methodist. So you see what I'm saying? This is kind of the point that I'm trying to make. He just got rid of Billy Sunday. He was a Presbyterian. So sometimes we have to kind of think correctly about these things, but what the Lord does is, and this is what I think is is an an earmark to some extent of of a master teacher, which Jesus was, he doesn't really take sides with either one of them. Instead, he seeks to lay out what does the Bible say. And if anybody can do that, he can, right? Because he certainly knows, and he lays it out very clearly for us, so, what he does is to go ahead and, and and formulate an answer which gives or reestablishes for the people um, where sometimes the uh, the the people sometimes the preachers end up confusing things, right? Especially those who aren't real students of the of the word, and and so you had a lot of confusion about these interpretations. So, what the Lord does is really a, a helpful thing for us, and really what I'm after in the message today. I would like to. Uh, show you three thoughts here that I think are very important to take away as we think about the sanctity of Christian marriage and we think about Jesus' answer. I think there are three key things to take away from this today. First of all, what is our authority? Anytime you have a controversy, if you're going to be able to settle that, if you can settle it, you need to have an authority that you go back to because if you don't have an authority that you go back to, then people look at you and say, well, that's just what you think, right? And and I'm sure that many of us have have had that happen before. Well, oh, well, that's just what you think. And so immediately then they have the permission, they think, they now have permission to dismiss what you're saying. How did the Lord answer this? Look at Matthew, or yes, Matthew chapter 19, verse four. And he answered and said unto them, Hillel's right. Did he say that? No. Shammai's right. No. What did he say? Have ye not read? So what is he referring to when he says, Have ye not read? Well, of course, he's referring to the Word of God. He's referring to the Bible. Um, The way this is given to us in Mark chapter 10 and verse 3, his immediate response to them is, What did Moses command you? Folks, I would say today that you and I need to be very careful that when we are operating in these realms and seeking to be examples as well as spokespersons for what God says, we need to know what the Bible says. Otherwise, you just have nothing more than the days of the judges, and you know what it says about the days of the judges Twice it tells us this towards the end of the book. Hopefully we'll get there and look at these two stories where this is given to us. But it talks about there was no king in Israel. What's that mean? There was no set authority. And every man did that which was what? Right Right in his own eyes. Well, would you say that's pretty much what we're coming to with marriage today? Everybody seems to think it's fine to do what's right in their own eyes. But if we're looking at it from the correct perspective, then we need to know what does the Bible say. If we're going to talk about this, a controversial subject, we need to be able to articulate what does the Bible say. All right, let's use a little different illustration. I guess Kathy's not here today, so she can't, I can't earn any credit points with her. But you can tell her. Let's say that we decide the piano needs to be tuned. I don't know how often you do that. But let's say we all decide the piano needs to be tuned. Well, so you ever seen this done before? Somebody's gonna come open the thing up. They're gonna have some little tools that they're gonna put on those little things that hold the strings. And what they're gonna do is generally tighten because they tend to get a little looser. And so that's how you're gonna tune the piano. So let's say a guy comes in, he's gonna tune the piano and he has these wrenches. He opens the thing up and he turns one a little bit, turns one a little bit, listens to it a time or two and says, okay, $150, I tuned your piano. And you think to yourself, well, he might have tuned it according to what he thinks, but still sounds funny to me. You see the problem? There's no authority. He's got to come in with something that gives him an A440 pitch. That's how you tune a piano. That's just how you do it. If he tunes it to A440, then you might think it sounds funny, but it may be your ears. It's tuned properly because that's how you tune a piano. Or Let's change the illustration a little bit. Let's say that um, you decide, you and your buddy decide uh, you're going hunting. It's going to be an afternoon hunt. And uh, so you go to the particular stand, and it's big enough for the both of you to get up in this thing. And uh, it's an afternoon hunt. You've had your lunch. So, you know, after you shake off the sleepies, um, you're sort of just trying to make as little movement, and as noise as you possibly can. And you're looking around, hoping you'll see some movement, hoping you'll see a deer, Turns out that during the course of the afternoon, you see some does, but it's not doe season yet, so you, you know, at least that's encouraging. You saw some deer. And it's really now getting towards the end, and you're kind of beginning to despair and think, oh, I don't think anything's going to happen today. And right there, maybe in the last two or three minutes of legal shooting, you're looking and you see a nice shooter buck walk out. Now, you guys have worked this out ahead of time, so it's your turn. You're going to shoot. So you hunker down over your rifle. You look through the scope. You get that deer right where you want to put that shot, and you pull the trigger. Well, when you only have two or three minutes of legal shooting left, you know what's going to happen, don't you? I always hate those. I don't say I won't take them, but I always hate them. Because first thing is you're going to have muzzle flash like you don't have during broad daylight. That's going to make it harder to see. That means that sometimes you have to kind of choose between coming up off the scope and looking and seeing if you need a follow-up shot or hoping you can tell what's going to happen because most of the time they don't just drop, do they? Most of the time they run. So this is what happens. You shoot, you look up off the gun, you see the deer run. You're not sure whether you've hit the deer or not, but your buddy, this is his job now, he's watching. And he says, you know what? He said, I really think you hit that deer. So we need to get down and go look. Now, how good is your patience? Because you know, it might be helpful to wait half an hour. It might be helpful to wait 45 minutes or even an hour, but we don't always all do that, do we? Sometimes our, we get down and I said, well, I'll at least go over where he was and see if I see some blood. And so you go get down, both of you get down out of the sand, you walk over, you see some blood, and you're encouraged So you decide to keep tracking the deer, and after about 30 minutes, you find the deer. And uh, maybe it's one of those things where you've got a decent blood trail for a little while, but then it sort of seems to peter out, and you go, oh, no. And that does happen sometimes, and so then you start making broader sweeps, broader sweeps, and finally you see the deer. And you're just, oh, you're so relieved. He's down, everything's good. So you go on and perform the regular duties that you have to do at that point. You field dress the deer and you so forth. Now you need to get back to the truck. Well, which way's the truck? I can tell, by the way, some of you are smiling. You've had this experience. Um, it was all real clear when it was light. But have you ever noticed how the nothing looks the same when it's dark? I mean, the trees look different. The woods look different. And so... You say, well, I think it's this way, but you've been out there making those sweeps and all this kind of stuff, and your buddy says, I, I kind of think it's that way. You say, well, I can help us out because I know that when we parked the truck we were at, and we're headed towards the stand, the, the thing in the truck said that we were headed south. The stand was south, we were headed south. So we're gonna get out of this mess, we need to head back, which way? North. So he says, well, I think that way's north. You said, no, that that way's north. Aren't we going to have a little problem here? I mean, you're going to stay lost. This is exactly where this generation is. We're all lost because nobody knows which way is north. Nobody knows what's A440. Nobody knows what's the gold standard. You say, well, if we're going to get back to the truck, I either need a compass or I need the North Star. Or a lot of luck. Right? But if you know how to find the North Star or you have a compass, the argument's over. Correct? So it's important to see how our Lord handled this question. It, it can't be in the realm of what do I think. It needs to be in the realm of what does God say. They may still disagree with you and they still not like what you say. There's a lot of that going on today. But at least you're calling people back to something that the Holy Spirit's able to work with. The Holy Spirit doesn't promise to bless our personal opinions. He does promise to bless God's Word. And so that's really important. That's what our authority is, and it's really important to notice. That's the first thing that the Lord gets established. The second, we want to notice what is our pattern, because God has given us a pattern. Do you notice at the end of verse number four, he says, Have you not read that he which made them at the beginning... So what happens is we tend to stray, don't we? And sometimes we have to, this is what revival is about, what we were talking about a little bit in Sunday school. It's kind of coming back to where we need to be. And this is what happened to the Jews. The interpretations became more and more permissive as society got away from really observing. This is where we are in America today. We're becoming more and more permissive as we've gotten, as we chuck the Bible, so we don't have any authority. So everybody's got a valid opinion Everybody's right. Your opinion is not worth any more than anyone else's. And so we we keep getting further and further. Don't you think we're getting further away? We keep getting further and further away from top dead center, which is what the word of God gives us. And so Jesus says there's a pattern. If you look back, what God established is the pattern in the beginning. And what did he establish? There's two thoughts that we can make here. First of all, marriage is the norm for mankind. He which made them at the beginning made them male and female. And then if you notice in the next statement, it says, And said, For this cause shall a man leave father and mother, and shall cleave to his wife, and they twain shall be one flesh. Well, there's something really important here to catch. So maybe to do this, the best thing to do is to get you to go back. Keep your your finger here. But go back to Genesis chapter 2 so that we can see where this is coming from. This is the beginning, right? This is the creation. This is where it's coming from. But we want to look at the verses because there's something important to point out. So verse 23 says, Adam said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And then look at the next verse. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh and they were both naked the man and the wife and were not ashamed. Okay, but who is the speaker when it starts with in verse 24 therefore? Is that Adam's commentary? Well, I mean to read it in the context, you could maybe you could maybe wonder that, right? Because Adam is the last speaker in verse number 23, right? But as it turns out, Both Jesus and Paul remove any doubt from this equation, whatever, because in our Matthew 19, 4, he says, he answered and said to them, have you not read that he which made them at the beginning made them male and female and said? So now what's going on here? The commentary in verse 24 and 25, A, is not Adam's commentary. In other words, Adam didn't just look at Eve and say, hey, this is really great. I recommend this for everybody. It's not that. This is God's commentary. And Paul makes this also clear in Ephesians chapter 5 in that passage where uh, he is also dealing with Christian marriage. I'm going to get this one for you just so you have the reference and I'll also read it. Ephesians chapter 5 verse 31. It says, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and they two shall be one flesh. And he gives this as, as the divine guidance, so to speak. So when it has the phrase here also, uh, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, it's meant to give the norm. This is, what, this is how I've created people, and this is what I've ordained to happen in the human race. And there are reasons for that that we'll get into in, in a moment. Now, if you're here today and you're wondering this, because this is a legitimate question for people to have. Um, you say, well, do I have to be married? What if I, I don't have an inclination that way? Well, there, there, are, there is a provision for that, and we have that kind of coming up as a result of something that the disciples say. Um, verse 10, His disciples say unto him, If the case of the man be so with his wife, it is good not to marry. But he said unto them, All men cannot, re- cannot receive. It, let's literally cannot make room for this saying. Why is that? Well, He gives three reasons for it that kind of cover the whole, all the bases in the next verse. For there are some eunuchs which are so born from their mother's womb. In other words, someone may have limited physical capability. You have a situation then where there are some um, were made eunuchs by men, so that's involuntary, but it does happen, and the Old Testament refers to that practice. And then in verse number Uh, at the end of verse number 12, and some have made themselves eunuchs for the kingdom of heaven's sake. In other words, someone who would choose as Paul talks about in first Corinthians seven to devote themselves exclusively to God's work and not to be married. And they have grace to do that. And for them, it's a better decision. They're able to concentrate for, for most of us, it's probably not the best decision because we couldn't concentrate as well. That's because that's the way it is. The norm is that for most of us, we grow up and, you know, when you're in second grade or whatever, you know, and you look at girls and you think, ooh, they have cooties. <laughs> then all of a sudden you get to fifth grade or uh, there's a little side light, didn't take me that long. But I'll just give you some ideas. You get to fifth grade and you start wondering if maybe a change in your position is in order. Then when you get to 6th or 7th grade, then you know a change in your position is in order. Girls start to look more attractive and more interesting, and this is all part of growing up, and then you go through this horrendous period of time called puberty and all that, and finally you wake up and figure out, you know what, I'm becoming an adult, and I have these interests, and they're normal. And this is how God designed the human race. So this is the, first of all, we get from this that marriage is the norm for humankind. But secondly, we get from it that here's, what does marriage consist of? So I'm going to give it to you, but then I'll come back and just, marriage consists of one naturally born man and one naturally born woman. And why do we have to say that? Didn't 30 years ago, it was enough to say one man and one woman. But I told you, we keep deteriorating. We keep the problem is that now you have Bruce Jenner, who's Bruce, who's Caitlyn. Now you have Bradley Manning, who's Chelsea. Well, this is not a naturally born man or a naturally born woman when someone is transgender and someone goes through a sex change operation. So. Marriage consists of one naturally born man and one naturally born woman living in an exclusive covenant relationship. Where do we get the idea of an exclusive covenant relationship? Well, because it says here, for this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. And by the way, when that joining happens, who actually does the joining according to Jesus? He says, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So there's something about this that's mystical. Paul tells us that. We don't uh, necessarily understand how the magic works that you walk down the aisle of a church, say some words, and all of a sudden you're married until you realize that what you're doing is making a lifelong commitment to that person. That's what then makes it appropriate to be married and to be involved in mar- marital in- intimacy. If you notice in the Genesis passage, you don't have anything about the man and his wife being naked and not ashamed until it says, for this cause shall a man leave his father and his mother. Then it says, they too shall be one flesh. You've got to get the order right. And what happens is we've decided to reinterpret that, make it more permissive, more lenient, and so we decide to say today, well, the order doesn't matter. In fact, some people tell you today, well, you should probably try it out first, see if it's for you. That's not what God says, is it, folks? So marriage consists of one naturally born man and one naturally born woman living in an exclusive covenant relationship for life by which the home a man leaves his father and mother. Now you become a father and a mother. By which the home is per- and by which the home and humankind are perpetuated, and the need for completion and companionship are addressed. We didn't read it, but if you go right back to that Genesis chapter 2 and read it right above where we were, what happened to Adam? And and I love how God leads us to, to see certain things about ourselves. He says, name the animals. Well, Adam wasn't any dummy, you know. I mean, he came up with that. And uh, we won't go into that. I don't have time. But I wouldn't want that task, especially to come up with names that, that accurately reflected with what you saw, which is what Adam did. So Adam named them all, and all of a sudden it's like, hmm, they're all pairs. They're all pairs. And all of a sudden he's, <laughs> I'm not a pair. I'm just me. And... At that point, the Lord said, you know, it's not good for a man to be alone. And the first surgery in the Bible occurs right there where God put Adam to sleep, took a rib from his side, made a woman, brought her to her husband. And then Adam said, this is really good because this is what God ordains. This is what God intends. And Adam's need for completion Uh, I will make a help meet for him, suitable for him. His need for completion and his need for companionship were addressed. Now, we don't have a lot of time, but let's talk about the third thing as quickly as we can. What's our obligation? Well, our obligation is to commit ourselves in every way that we possibly can to the sanctity of Christian marriage. And what would that involve? And the reason that we know this is, of course, because Jesus does make this statement, what therefore God hath joined together, let not man put asunder. So what's involved in us doing the very best that we possibly can to live according to God's holy ordinance? That's what we say in a wedding ceremony, according to God's holy ordinance. So two things here quickly. Um, first of all, to, to preserve the sanctity of this commitment that we've made through sexual purity. And and that's just, we know that that's what God wants for us. And yes, sometimes folks fall into sin, and of course then we see all the problems that cause, don't we? But if we're going to uphold an example for our children, if we're going to uphold an example for society, then we want to do everything within our power to live faithfully to the commitment that we've made, and that commitment is to leave and cleave. It's an exclusive relationship. The Mormons aren't right, folks. It's not bigamy or trigamy or however many they decide to come up with. Um, Even in the Old Testament, when, when the kings did that, that was really not God's plan from the beginning. And the second thing is, is to avoid tampering with the pattern. God's the one who determines. He said in the beginning, God says this is A440. God says this is the North Star. God says this is the gold standard. If you deviate from this, it won't be my will, and you'll only bring difficulty and hardship upon yourself. And so as God gives us strength and gives us grace to be an example and to understand what God would have of us in upholding the sanctity of Christian marriage, we need to avoid tampering with the pattern. And I would close today by telling you this. You know, when tampering with the pattern is everything about what's going on today. But if you, and you, you I challenge you, to, I know this, this illustration is often used, but I challenge you, you go. You can prove it out for yourself. If you want to go to work for the U.S. Treasury, or you want to go to work for in Canada, if they want to teach you how to recognize counterfeit money, the main emphasis is not to bring you in and show you that one's counterfeit, that one's counterfeit, that one's counterfeit, that one's counterfeit, that one's counterfeit because it's like trying to keep up with the Jehovah's Witnesses and the Different misinterpretations of the Bible they come up with. It's like about the time you've got your answers figured out to the typical ones they come up with, they've got some new angle. You can never keep up with it. You can never keep up with all the, the variations that someone might miss the mark, even if only slightly by a counterfeit. So what do they do? They keep exposing you to the real thing. You need to know how it feels the texture of the paper, the colors, even the smell of it. And you study this and study this and study this until after a while you can pick up something that's even close and say it's not the real thing, right? How can we tell when something's not the real thing? Well, this is it, folks. This is it. And so what are we seeing if... if, let's, Let's close with this, although, once again, I'm not trying to be unkind to anyone, and we need to love the sinner. It doesn't Loving sinners doesn't mean you have to agree with what they're doing wrong. But if you're so brusque and so unkind and so harsh and so self-righteous, you're probably not going to win very many of them. You've got to find a way to be a kind person, a compassionate person, but not agree with what's, what's going on. So here's the... Here's the standard four-letter formulation that what we're seeing today: LGBTQ. All right, what's L stand for? Lesbian. Is that a deviation? Sure is. It's not two women. For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be he made them from the beginning, male and female. It's not two women. All right, what's the G? Gay. Well, it's not two men either. I don't care how popular, I don't care how how charismatic this mayor from South Bend is that everybody seems to be so taken with. You know what I'm talking about? You'll spend forever trying to figure out how to pronounce his last name. And then they call him Mayor Pete. You know why they call him Mayor Pete is because his last name, nobody knows how to pronounce it. Um, Buttigieg. Something like that. I was listening to him say it himself. Uh, and it's really interesting that, uh, you know, he's been, uh, different people have had commentary on this, and, uh, including Mike Pence. He got into a little back and forth with Mike Pence, if you've seen that in the news. And here's what Mayor Pete had to say. That's the thing I wish the Mike Pences of the world would understand, that if you've got a problem with who I am, your problem is not with me. Your quarrel service with my creator. No, 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 no. All you're doing is blaming God for your choices. God didn't make you that way. Now, do some people have those temptations? Well, obviously some people do. If some people didn't have those temptations, we wouldn't be having this problem. But to turn it around and saying well this is just how god made me is kind of like saying well whatever i need to do i that's i can just blame god for that no you're you're responsible for your choices so the g doesn't work that's not god's pattern the b the bisexual part that doesn't work either because you're supposed to be living in a monogamous exclusive relationship not to, not supposed to be with a man here or a woman there, or some of both. The trans part, the T, I've already mentioned that, that certainly doesn't work out according to God's plan because we're fearfully and wonderfully made. Aren't we supposed to, even if we don't like it, even if we say, well, you know, I wish I didn't have so big of ears or I wish I didn't have so big a nose or whatever, but you know what? Um, We have to at some point submit to how God made us and I I have to tell you, um, I Respect women. I respect everything that God did when he made women. And my wife's the greatest. But I haven't had one day that I wished I were a woman. I'm just telling you, I'm, I'm, I'm fine with who I am. I'm not, at, I'm not in any rebellion against God for that. Um... And, you know, the cue they put on the end because they need a catch-all for everybody that can't figure out what they are. Folks, it doesn't match up. And if you and I are going to be an example, if you and I are going to speak for God, if you and I are going to live before a lost and dying world in such a way as to point the way, well, you have to know what God says. and 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 it never hurts us to spend a sermon, I hope you agree, It never hurts us to spend a sermon reaffirming the great truths of the Bible insofar as the sanctity of Christian marriage are concerned. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day you've given, and thank you for the opportunity. And Lord, we see all around us, it just seems like all of the institutions that you've ordained for man and humankind and society seem to be crumbling around us, and yet you put us here as salt and light. So give us the grace to be a good example to our children, to be a good example to the church where we are and to be a good example to a lost and dying world and we pray father that even though it's gotten heated out there and even though there are many people who are um, antagonistic towards christian values uh, help us lord not to cause that to turn us bitter or angry help us just to love people and do our best to reaffirm your truth and trust you to work in hearts and father just bless our homes we're all subject to temptations to difficulties And where the hurt has come, we realize that it's for the very reason that you gave, because of the hardness of our hearts. Help us to be forgiving, help us to be loving, help us to be kind, continue to give us grace. We pray in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Let's turn to page 446 for our closing song. And uh, the first stanza in particular is kind of what I'm after. Because God has given us a firm foundation. 464. Stand together. It's 464. Did I say something wrong? Did I did I say it wrong? I'm sorry.